Good morning, good morning, good morning, New Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church of Newark, Delaware, the place where love abides, where our pastor is Pastor Dontel A. Halls Sr. Uh, today's date is April 10th, 2022, and I am your host, Deacon Dylan. We will be with each other for the next probably 20 to 30 minutes during our Sunday school morning breakfast hour. Uh, we are in our Union Gospel Press books, Union Gospel Press lesson number six. And today's lesson title is Thoughts on the Lord's Supper. Thoughts on the Lord's Supper. The scripture will be coming from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 20 to 34. The time period is about 55 AD, and this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing um, to the church at Corinth, and he's writing it from Ephesus, writing to the Corinthians from Ephesus. Uh, again, the lesson title, Thoughts on the Lord's Supper. Let's get right into it. I'll read our introduction. Uh, just because it kind of sets the tone for what the lesson will be about. One of the great privileges of the Christian life is to participate, is, is our participation in the Lord's Supper or communion. It is where we, as a body of believers, observe and remember the death of Jesus on the cross. Jesus gave us this in order that we would never forget the sacrifice he made for us. Communion is an important part of our walk with Christ. It should never be done in such a way that it loses its significance in our hearts. It should not be seen as just a part of our church service. It should be done every time as a memorial of the sacrifice Jesus made for us on the cross. Communion is reserved for believers in Christ. There is no saving power in it. We are not saved because we eat the bread and drink the cup. We do so because we are saved. There is a unifying effect on those who come together in love and remember what Christ did for us on the cross. Without the death of Jesus, there would be no resurrection and we would be dead in sin. That is the crux of this whole lesson. Um, Paul is writing this letter because of some things that he's getting word of that's happening. And he is giving them some corrective action uh, based upon the purpose and the meaning behind the Lord's Supper. So let's jump right into it. First Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and read verses 1 through 19. But this actually picks up at verse number 20. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before the other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and to drink? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he break it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink of this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest I will set in order when I come. <laughs> Amen. Lesson exposition. The first portion talks about uh, Paul showing rebuke for their selfishness. Let's get right into it. Division was an ongoing problem in the Corinthian church in more ways than one. As we have, stu as we have studied... Some were divided over their favorite preachers, while others were divided over the exercise of Christian liberty when it came to eating food offered to idols. Another area of division came in the observance of the Lord's Supper, verses 18. Not surprisingly, economic status varied in the church as the gospel was preached to both the wealthy and the poor. Dividing lines were drawn between the rich and the poor at the Lord's Supper, with the rich gorging themselves while the poor were being shut out. Word got back to Paul that they were not serving the Lord's Supper in a loving way, and this caused him to issue a stern rebuke to the church. So I just want to set the table a little bit. As we think about communion, uh, how we commonly do it, right? We have our bread which is our cracker, and we have some juice, grape juice, um, and that is we doing we're doing it. We're you know we're praying, we're asking for forgiveness. Um, as the deacons are handing out the bread, you'll probably hear them say, uh, "This represents the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which is broken for you." And as you get handed the uh, juice. You'll hear a deacon say, this represents the blood that was shed for you, right? And, you know, we all say, we wait for one another as all the communion is handed out. We all say a prayer. Uh, you'll hear pastor or uh, whatever reverend is administering the communion that day, um, uh, Reverend Riley or Reverend Peterson, uh, in times past, uh, Pastor Golden. You hear them say, reflect 
on your your past activities, right? You want to reflect over the last month. You want to ask God to forgive you for anything that you have said, done, thought wrong. This is the part where they're we're doing uh, a self-examination. I'm probably jumping ahead of this lesson here. But what we're not doing is we're not coming together to have breakfast um, in a way such that we're eating to be filled. That meal, Paul was trying to get over to them that they should exercise that meal at their home if they were hungry, right? When they came together, it was for one purpose, one purpose only, to remember what Christ had done on the cross, his redemptive work on the cross. Um, Moreover, this community feast, this love feast that they had back in the day, it was actually a feast. Um, But what Paul was upset with is they had dividing lines based upon your status, right? It was almost like like a caste system, you know, the, the, the rich people wouldn't eat with the, with the poor folks and the rich had plenty to eat while the poor had the scraps. Paul was upset with this because it was in direct contrast on what Jesus had done on the cross. He died for, for the rich and the poor, right? So they were dividing themselves based upon their economic status and they were doing it in such a way that they were gorging themselves while some of the poor folks couldn't even get anything to eat. Gorge means they're stuffing themselves. They were eating to be full and they were drinking. They had they they ate communion with real wine or they drank with real wine. So they were eating to be full and drinking to be drunk. And this love feast, as it was kind of called, this community feast, love feast, the whole meaning of it was being stricken away and making it into a, a big tailgate party, for lack of better words. Okay, that's what Paul is addressing here. <laughs> um, it said, when the church would gather, there would typically be a common meal served for everyone to enjoy and participate. We just talked about that. The meal that was served was called the Lord's Supper, as the bread and the cup were featured in it. So, at some point in this meal, they would formally feature the bread and the cup. That would represent the communion, the Lord's Supper communion. Um, but they also had other food as well. Uh, it says, but Paul points out that the people were not really eating the Lord's Supper, regardless of what they called it. So you can you can uh, make any kind of name you want to make for it. If it's not done decent and in order, you can't you can't make it God's business. So Paul is saying, well, no matter what you guys are calling it, you can call it the tent revival. You can call it whatever. Uh, if we're not doing it in a way that's honoring God, we are not accomplishing what we set out to do. And it says nothing about what the Corinthians were doing even closely resembled what Christ would have approved of or practiced himself. Nothing about Christ was very high and boastful or or gluttonous nothing about what he did it was all with love humility meekness temperance um nothing he did would have resembled a boisterous drunken a gorging type of festivity that they were engaging in paul's rebuke paul was alarmed at what he had heard concerning the observance of the lord's supper 
He asked the church why they were using the community meal as an opportunity to eat like they would at home. He points out that when they gathered together, it was supposed to be for a greater purpose than a regular meal. They weren't just coming together to have, you know, uh, you know, a regular get together meal. This was supposed to be a meal where you should have a solemn uh, demeanor because you're remembering what Christ did. It's it's kind of a, 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 a sad, happy occasion, right? You're solemn because you have to remember his suffering, but you're happy because you know that had he not suffered, then we would have no chance at salvation, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword there. It says here that uh, they were to share so that everyone could partake equally. You know, whether or not you had a chance to partake in the Lord's Supper should not have been contingent on your economic status, right? Um, to treat the poor in such a contemptible way was to despise the church of God and humiliate the poor. God had always commanded that those with means should care for the poor and not treat them as second-class citizens. In Paul's mind, the Corinthians' selfish practices were repulsive, and he set out to remind them of what the Lord's Supper was really about. Uh, let's keep going. The body and the blood. The revelation entrusted to Paul. As upset as Paul may have been with the Corinthians' behavior, he was not content with just shaming them with his rebuke and leaving them to their sin. And I actually like this about Paul, right? Don't be so, and maybe we could take a page out of Paul's book. Don't be so quick to knock a brother or a sister down in Christ, right? Or to be so critical of them, but you're unwilling to lend them instruction on how they should live, right? Don't be the person that's saying, oh, you know, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, oh, they call themselves a Christian and they do this and that. But you haven't gone over to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and tapped them on the shoulder without embarrassing them and say, hey, brother so-and-so, hey, sister so-and-so, just a thought, man, or, you know, just a thought, sis, you may want to consider this. I think God would be pleased with you if you did this. Hey, if you need help, with doing such and such, let me know. You know, we'll we'll get together. We'll study together. Hey, you know, uh, check this scripture out and see what God says about this. I think you'll find that there's a better way potentially to do what you're doing that may honor God and edify your other brothers and sisters. We can always rebuke and chastise with love. But if you're doing it to be a gossiper, you know, you're not doing any good. You're just sitting up there looking at the moat in your brother's eye without looking at the beam in your own. I believe Jesus used that as a as a as a parable. Uh you can't be so quick to sweep around somebody else's door and point out their trash without without, you know, looking at yourself. And number one, if you see something wrong with me, if you see me walking around, and this might be as is as, as plain as it gets, if you see me walking around and I have a big boogie in my nose, you're not going to tell me I have the boogie or you're just going to say, oh, look at Deacon Dylan. I can't believe he's got that boogie in his nose. Why would he get up there like that? I would hope that you would come and tap me and say, hey, brother, you know, when you get a second, man, take this tissue or go to the bathroom and check check your grill. Right. That's what we should be doing. That's what Paul is doing here. He wasn't just rebuking them, but he's giving them and teaching them 
on how they should do it properly. Right. Uh, It says Paul had received instructions on the Lord's Supper from Jesus himself. He was not taught this by anyone else, nor did he formulate his own directives. That's important. If you're going to correct somebody, make sure you're correcting them based upon the word or based upon, you know, divine revelation, which, you know, I guess we have to qualify today because anybody can say God told me to do this or God told me to do this. So you have to qualify that, pray on it. But so long as you can find it in the word, then there's a basis of them formulating that opinion. Paul himself had was taught by Jesus. This wasn't just something that Paul was making up, right? Jesus had instructed him on how this was to be done, how he was to be honored. So there's a whole lot to learn in that right there. We have to be open to correction, right? But those that are correcting, you need to be biblically based. You have to be, give me, show me in the word because everybody has an opinion. Now, nothing wrong with rendering opinions, but we just need to clarify that when we're talking about the Lord's work, right? We want to make sure that we do everything decent and in order according to God's word. That's the most important part. It says, for them to disobey Paul was the same as disobeying God, since this was Jesus's own teaching in this manner. So remember, if it's coming from man of God, woman of God, you can uh, equate that to an extent as this God's instruction, so long as they are uh, truly giving you God's word and instruction. Don't rebuke good information that's going to help you. You kind of you kind of playing your own self, really. Let's keep going. The body. At the very first communion service, Jesus gave thanks and broke the bread apart. Just and you can find that in Luke 22 and 19. Just as he gave thanks to God for the bread, we must give thanks to God for giving us his only son, the bread of life. And <coughs> John 6 and 35. It is this living bread that sustains us throughout our lives and gives us life eternal. So the, the bread, as I said earlier, excuse me, it represents the body that was broken, right? They beat Jesus. He suffered physically on the cross, right? They scorned him. They mocked him. That's his body being broken for us, right? That's the symbolic meaning of the bread. The bread is the body, okay? And Jesus gave thanks for the bread before they ate the communion. So we, and like Mary's manner, we give thanks for the bread for Jesus's body, right? Just, just want to make sure we don't skip over that. The bread that was broken was symbolic of the fact that Jesus's own body will be ravaged just hours later. He gave us his body for us and we are to eat the bread in remembrance of him. Okay, the blood. So we talked about the body. This is the blood. After distributing the broken pieces of bread, Jesus then took the cup. The cup represents the blood of Jesus and introduces the new covenant between God and his people. One in which we are still under today. So I don't want to skip over that new covenant. So a new believer. The only way you can come into a right fellowship with God is through his son, Jesus Christ, right? Um, 
you have to believe that he was born and that he died and that he was rose, raised from the dead for our sins. That's part of this whole communion. He has shed his blood, his body and his blood for us, right? Um, it says, Jesus made a new covenant and ratified it with his blood. That word ratified, it just simply means signed to sign a contract or a treaty uh, to give formally consent to something. So when he shed his blood, that was the, the, the saving power on that contract of your salvation. The only thing that is left is for you to believe it. There is no other work that needs to be done. You just simply have to believe it and then try to live according to what your faith believes, right? Which is, if you love God, keep my commandments, right? If you love him, you're going to follow after him, follow after righteousness, right? So, but there's no other work that needs to be done. It, you know, your works, you being a good person cannot save you. That's not a part of the covenant. You having faith is really the thing that activates that covenant. Right. So this covenant is only with new believers It's not with unbelievers because they haven't signed on the line. Right. For a covenant to be a covenant, uh, you know, for an agreement to be an agreement, a contract to be a contract, you have to have two party signatures. Right. With a witness in theory. But you have to just sign your name with your faith. Jesus has already signed the contract with his blood. He's waiting on your signature that activates the covenant with your faith. I hope that makes sense to you. It says, we proclaim the death of Christ by eating the bread and drinking the cup. And the church is to continue this practice until Christ returns. When we partake of communion and our minds must be focused on Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us. It's not a time to be talking. It's not a time to be looking on your phone. It's not a time to be, you know, giggling at this or anything else. Really, and I, I honestly, I try to close my eyes. I don't want to see anybody. Um, I try to close my eyes. And I, I before doing that, I make sure I, I tell my children, hey, make sure you pray, ask for forgiveness, right? I give them a little friendly reminder. But other than that, I don't want to see anybody else. I just want to try to focus on Jesus. Because for that two to three minutes, five minutes, however long it takes to administer communion, that's really where our focus should be. You know, anything else that you're allowing to be distracted, it, you're kind of, in my opinion, you're losing, you're losing sight of what we're doing it for. Everything else can wait for a couple minutes while we focus on Jesus, right? Self-examination, reverence and communion. Communion is an event so holy that one must partake in it carefully. To partake in communion unworthily is to treat it as ordinary food and drink without giving any thought to what it means. Again, like I said, they were coming together like it was a big, you know, Sunday football meal or something, getting drunk and, and gorging themselves without really the true meaning remembering what it was about or without feeding the poor and taking care of those that were in need, right? They had a lot of gluttony. To partake in communion unworthily is to treat it as ordinary food and drink without giving any thought to what it means. To eat and drink unworthily in this way is totally disrespect to Christ, 
making one guilty of despising the body and the blood of Jesus. Disrespecting others at the Lord's Supper is bad enough, but disparaging the sacrificial work of Jesus on behalf and our behalf is horrendous. Okay, so disrespecting one another is bad enough, but doing it so in a disparaging way that you kind of diminish the sacrificial work of Jesus on our behalf is horrendous. Got to remember what he went through for us. Right. In order to avoid such a disgrace from occurring, Paul calls on each person to examine himself, to make sure he is remembering and honoring the Lord for what he did. Communion should also be seen as an opportunity to discover any unconfessed sin and to repent of it. To save us from sin, after all, is the very reason he gave his life. As I said, you should be self-reflecting, asking God for forgiveness. You should be asking God to clear your minds and your hearts. And you should be thanking him for what he went through for you. Right? Because it's a personal relationship thing for you. He did it for humanity, but more importantly, he did it for you. Right? Purpose of communion. Communion itself does not bring salvation. I'll say that again. Communion itself does not bring salvation. In fact, taking communion without being saved brings judgment, not salvation. Communion is reserved for those who are saved, not for the unrepentant sinner. Think about it. If you're doing this and to remember him and to honor what he did for you, it really doesn't apply to you if you don't believe it. Even though he did die for you, but you can't say that in faith because you don't believe it, right? This is for the person who's non-believer. It, it is not beneficial for them to partake in such a holy uh, remembrance. One of the most holy remembrances that, that as a Christian, right? You're honoring, if not the most holy uh, ritual type of remembrance you're honoring what Jesus did for us. Why would you want somebody who doesn't even believe that to take part in that? It's a disrespect to God, right? In fact, it goes on to say the negative consequences of taking communion in an unworthy manner are more than just spiritual. Paul points out that there were physical consequences in the Corinthian church. Many in the church had become sick and even died for partaking in a sinful way. You remember that verse where he said, it said, uh, uh, where did it say? Read it. Stand by. Yeah, verse number 30. Verse 29 says, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. So a lot of them were, were weak and sick and some of them died. That word sleep, they, they were sleeping. They're dead. Uh, that's for doing it in an unworthy manner. This was the way the Lord disciplined the Corinthians for their disrespect. And we should not think that we modern Christians are immune to such discipline, right? Let's get ready to get out of here. Evaluation for communion. There is an element of personal responsibility involved here that cannot be overlooked. The warning against not partaking in communion in an unworthy manner is not a suggestion that we should not participate at all. 
In fact, God wants us to come to his table and enjoy the blessings he has prepared for us. If we are honest in our judgment of ourselves, we will not be considered unworthy by God. He wants to forgive us, but we must repent. That is why the time of self-examination and honest judgment prior to communion is so important. Self-examination, honest judgment prior to communion, very important. What should you be thinking about? Thinking about what he did for you, asking God for repentance of your sins, and really trying to reflect and remember what he did for you. When God judges a believer this way, it does not mean he is sent to hell. Judgment in this case refers to God's discipline. As a loving parent, he disciplines us in order to correct wrong behavior or bad attitude. The idea is to bring us to repentance and obedience, not cast us away. God's discipline itself is a blessing as it brings us back into a right fellowship with him and it keeps us from having hard hearts like the world. As Paul says, believers are not judged the same as the world. Because of our faith in Jesus, believers are not condemned. So because of Jesus' saving power, God accepts our mess when we when we acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness and he wipes our slate clean again that's not the same way he does for the unbelieving person because they have no fellowship with god through christ you can't come no man can come to the father but by me that me is jesus so you can't come to the father except for jesus you have to have that relationship you have to have that belief in christ in order for god to accept your prayer you won't even be heard from Think about that. You can't come to God but through Christ. That is why this prayer, that is why this reflection time is so important. Think about that. The Holy Spirit intercedes with our prayers, with utterances that cannot be uttered. Right. That saving power, that intercession of the Holy Spirit, all those things are only brought about when you believe in Jesus and have accepted him as your personal savior. There's no other way you can come. There's no other back doors. OK, you got there's no there's no shortcuts. You have to accept Christ as your personal savior. Believe that he came, that he died for you. If you don't have that prerequisite, you don't have a seat at the table. It's, just, it's that simple. Let's keep going. Love and communion. After reminding the church what the Lord's Supper was all about, Paul then instructs them to wait for one another when they share the meal. It was not wrong for them to have the meal, nor was it wrong for them to enjoy the meal since it was customary at that time. They were simply to enjoy it together in love, humility, and harmony. Paul suggests that if a person is hungry and you can't wait for the rest of the church to gather, that person should eat at home. We should do everything we can to be prepared for serving others, whether this means making sure we are not hungry or just getting enough sleep. These practical things will make us better servants in the body of Christ. The Lord's Supper is about the Lord, not us. 
when we partake of it, we should do so in a way that will bring glory to him. Let's go over these practical points and then we'll be out of here. Be careful to honor God with pure motives in worship, service, and fellowship. That's important. Pure motives. Don't sing on a choir so that you'll get a standing ovation. Sing as if you're singing to God himself. Right? Do all things to the glory of God. Our faith grows deeper when we remember Christ's sacrifice for our sins. You should be reflecting on that. As often as you do this in remembrance of me, you do shoot forth my death and suffering. That's what he said, right? So if you keep doing it in the remembrance of him, you're showing what Christ did for you in your life, right? Because you should be living for him. Our faith and worship look forward to Christ's coming in glory. We're going to do this until he comes back, knowing that he's coming back, right? Instead of being drawn away from him by guilt, believers should always draw closer to Christ for forgiveness and restoration. Don't be harder on yourself than God will be. That's not a license to sin, but don't stay away because of your sin. Get closer to God. He's the only one that can take care of it for you. Right. Believers invite unintended consequences when their worship is careless. Mm, believers invite unintended consequences when their worship is careless. You got a flippant worship. You're just doing it. You're just out there. Be careful with that. Make sure we're doing it decent and in order. And the last practical point, we should gather for worship in love and consideration for all our fellow believers, right? Rich and poor. Please don't let it be, you know, the breakfast club. Don't let it be about... Uh, Who's who's who in the talk suit, right? No clicks in the church. We're all one body of believers. No clicks in the church, right? Nobody is better or higher than the next person. Let every person esteem each other, right? Um, I hope you got something of it. God bless you. May heaven smile upon you. It's my time. I'll see you next time.